The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. A few weeks ago, we asked Mayor Aaron Mendenhall if Salt Lake City would consider rescinding its no camping ordinance. And she said, not anytime soon. Which raised some questions for us. Like, how often are Salt Lakers going to court for camping? And what other measures could keep folks out of the criminal justice system while trying to survive a Utah winter? It's Thursday, March 16th. I'm Emily Means, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Taylor Hastings, attorney with the Salt Lake Legal Defender Association. We often hear from Salt Lake City leaders that being homeless is not a crime. You spend a lot of time representing people at the city justice court. So in your opinion, does Salt Lake City criminalize homelessness? It's a really difficult question because in some ways they don't. But there's also like where we are as a society not being housed and not having a job and not having all of the kind of what some would consider the trappings of modern life essentially makes you a criminal. If you're out on the street all day, somebody's going to get upset. So in some ways, no, we are not criminalizing the homeless. In other ways, we absolutely are. Okay, of course there's nuance to this. That's always the way these things go. (laughs) But um, let's talk about what it looks like on the ground. First of all, how many of your cases do you think are people experiencing homelessness? I've been talking to other attorneys in my office just to kind of clarify what my gut is versus what others are saying. And a few other attorneys have said upwards of 30%, maybe wow. even 40% are, and this comes with a little catch-all of homeless or homeless adjacent, people okay. that have a lot of trouble getting stabilized. And so they're, they're kind of in this cycle of they can't stabilize due to so many issues. People who are kind of in and out of homelessness sometimes? In and out of homelessness. Okay. My chronically homeless uh, clients... I would say you're 10 to 15 percent. Okay, And by chronically homeless, we mean I think there is a specific definition. It's like homeless for a year and also they have like some disabling conditions. I think that's the technical definition. Sure. Typically, these are the clients where they were here a long time before I started in this job and they'll be here for a long time after. So for these folks that you're representing who may be chronically homeless or maybe in and out of homelessness, what charges do you represent them on in court? One, you know, is up to interpretation. That's a public urination. Somebody needs to use the bathroom and they can't go into a store because the store is going to kick them out. Right. You have to be a customer. You have to be a customer. And let's be honest, you probably also have to smell nice and 
and, you know, be somewhat presentable to anybody else in the store. So public urination is one. Criminal trespass is probably the most pervasive. Okay. Just being caught on somebody else's land. A third, I would say, is your camping. You've literally set up a tent and you're sleeping on public ground somewhere. Yeah. You know, a lot of the possession of drug paraphernalia, there's a lot where, you know, people are self-medicating with drugs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of your little minor drug possession charges are indicative of homelessness. Um, You also have retail thefts. I've had clients who they picked up a, a retail theft for taking an apple. I had one client who got out of jail, went, was really thirsty, and he took a soft drink out of a fridge and started drinking it, and they charged him with a retail theft. That's like $2 or less for either of those items. Yeah. The other really big one is uh, theft of services, which in my office is almost exclusively people that have left the free fare zone from tracks. Oh, okay. And the free fare zone is basically just downtown. So like anytime you go outside that, like that's where you're finding people with these charges. 13th South, Fall Park, that track stop, I get plenty of people who are brought in on those charges and predominantly homeless. As a public defender, I am dealing with already a population that is not financially stable. Um, You're only appointed if you make, you know, it's it's a fairly low amount of money or if you're not working or if you're on disability these are the people that are that are brought before me that I'm representing but a lot of the people that have severe concerns they're the ones that are picking up the theft of services charges plus you know folks might be riding the tracks and they might see someone on there who makes them uncomfortable or something and and then i guess that's a call to UTA police maybe well it's where this problem seems to be somewhat antithetical to modern living. If a person is riding tracks to stay warm in the winter and you have other people that have stable housing, that have stable jobs, that have stable lives, you know, sometimes they get scared. I have a six-year-old. He loves riding the trains. I take him on tracks occasionally. And because I have kind of a personal relationship with so many homeless people, I'm not afraid. I see when they're okay. I see when they're in crisis. I'm able to navigate that in a very healthy way. I I understand that most of them are not dangerous, but I can see where the lay person, the regular person going down the street, you know, is walking down the street and somebody yells at them because they're having a mental health episode. I can see where they're getting a little concerned. For sure. So how often do you think the city enforces its no camping ordinance? So this is anecdotal and it can vary quite a bit. You know, I have spoken to a few attorneys in the justice court who say, you know, they're seeing a few of them a month. I personally have only seen about four of them in the last five months with the caveat of at the arraignment phase, which is the first time somebody comes to court and they're read their charges, they're given a preliminary offer from the, the city prosecutors, and it's determined whether they want to be appointed to my office or whether they're going to hire their own attorney. That's a pretty easy carrot for the city to dangle mm-hmm. in front of defendants saying, hey, 
you have, say, a retail theft and you have two camping charges and, let's say, a criminal trespass, if you'll plead to the retail theft, we'll get rid of the camping charges and the criminal trespass. So, so that's where the anecdotal may not line up so much because that's a charge that is pretty clearly going to get resolved if there's anything more serious. Right. Well, it kind of feels like why even have it on the books at all then? Okay, so you have listed a pretty wide variety of of charges or citations. Um, what are these considered? Are these misdemeanors? Like, what are these in the eyes of the law? So in the justice court, I never see anything higher than a Class B misdemeanor. Okay. Class B misdemeanors are, you know, first time driving under the influence, uh, you know, assaults, but also as a starting point, a retail theft is a class B misdemeanor. So it can theoretically be charged to the same level. Okay. Even like a stealing a $2 apple. Absolutely. Is, a, is the same as potentially driving under the influence. Absolutely. Now, a lot of these things are built in where there is wiggle room as far as like what is charged versus what the final outcome is. But yes, they they start from that base point of most of these charges are a class B misdemeanor. So what are the consequences of this? With the drug offenses, with the retail theft offenses, they're what you call enhanceable, which means, you know, if somebody starts to pick up multiple retail thefts, then when the city or the state, the DA or the city prosecutors are looking at this, they can say, you know what, this is normally a class B misdemeanor, but because of their history, we can charge it as a class A misdemeanor, which is much more, you know, the penalties are much more severe. Could you go to jail? Theoretically. Okay. Do your clients often go to jail on these charges? I'll be honest. If I'm looking at a retail theft, you know, you could have a prosecutor asking for 10 days jail. I don't care how egregious it is. There isn't a judge in the city that I would expect would give any discernible jail time on a charge like that. But then again, I'm a defense attorney and I will fight against <laughs> right. any jail That's your job. Uh, That's that your isn't job. mandated. Yes. Okay. So I want to talk about the cycle that some people can kind of end up in because um, one important thing about court is that you got to show up, right? And I imagine that could be hard for folks who maybe don't have an address or a phone or a Google calendar. So what happens if they don't show up? Typically, if, if I have a homeless client that I know is homeless, I will fight against a warrant being issued. Um, but even the most sympathetic judge is typically likely to to set a warrant, a failure to appear warrant on on the person, which then starts to have these other consequences on their on their lives. Right. So tell me about those consequences, because I could see, you know, people could pick up these citations um, over and over again. And they could compound, right? Like if you don't show up and get them taken care of in court. So what happens when you've now got these warrants to your name? Well, so there are a few things that can happen. If somebody has, say, SNAP benefits, which is food stamps or Medicaid or any sort of access to resources can stall, can be suspended. Housing 
trying to get housing. That's not helpful. You can see the rationalization of you need people coming to court to resolve their criminal matters. When you have 60 to 90 percent of people that are appointed to my office being established in their life enough to have housing and all of that, then the threat of taking away those resources can be very compelling. It'll get somebody to come to court. So essentially, when somebody doesn't show up for court, they're going to pick up a warrant and it will suspend a lot of the benefits or the the resources they utilize to survive. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. Tell me about some of the efforts the city has made to meet people where they're at. So probably the most exciting outreach is what is known as kayak court. It's where you have a judge, prosecutors. You also have social workers who are taking kind of a trauma-informed approach towards finding people where they're living along the Jordan River. Um, You have a lot of encampments. You have a lot of people that congregate there. And that is seen as an access to justice resource of, you know, with the full understanding, these people are not great about getting to court. It may not be their fault. So why don't we try and do the right thing and go out? And it is, it's funny, it's a bunch of kayaks or it's a bunch of bikes and they go out along the Jordan River and we find people that might have warrants or they might have open cases that 
say, a retail theft or a, or a bunch of criminal trespass. And we'll try and resolve as many of those as we can. Yeah. Justice on the move. How have these outreach events changed the outcomes for your clients? There's two parts to outreach events for homeless. The first is if there is a discernible victim, say there's an assault or if they've picked up a DUI. That's not going to be resolved at, at homeless court. Sure. But I think that the second part are these kind of victimless crimes, or if we're considering UTA to be a victim, a lot of those cases, you're getting essentially deals from the city to remove a lot of those cases under the expectation that these are not crimes where somebody has an intent to defraud, where somebody has the intent to kind of pull a fast one on society, they just need to survive. Those cases, you will get really good offers of essentially, you know, if you will meet with somebody who's going to help you get access to resources today, then those cases are dismissed, which is an incredibly powerful tool that the city and the justice courts do they follow through with it? Yeah, I don't really think that's that's in doubt at all. Um, I just think it's probably really complicated, and you know, a lot of a lot of people may not understand the power they have to change the system. Absolutely, there is also an inherent issue with dealing with resources without fundamentally addressing housing. Yes, we know that like housing is like easily the solution to homelessness, right? Everyone seems to agree on that. No matter where you where you're at in this whole system, housing is it. Well, it it really is. We have gone as a society from if you were in any way inconvenient. Let's say this is 1950. If you're in any way inconvenient to society, you are put in a home and hopefully you're not lobotomized. And I, I, that's a little extreme, but it's also very true. We did not, we were really good at sweeping problems under the rug. And then you had kind of a paradigm shift, whether it be respecting people's autonomy or just not wanting to pay for it, that, you know, 30 years ago kicked a lot of people out onto the streets and said, you know what? Under the best circumstances, we're going to respect your autonomy. I can sit here and I can talk about how a lot of these people were trying to impose a framework that is fundamentally inconsistent with the way that they exist. And the way we really need to respect them is by stabilizing them, mm -hmm. by giving them housing, by allowing them to do that. But if we want to do it right, I think housing is the big winner. So, Taylor, I feel like you're kind of getting at this point that and, and you mentioned this when you were, uh, you know, when you're riding the tracks with your kid and maybe you see someone who uh, would make other people uncomfortable. These charges you mentioned, the way in which we criminalize homelessness, public urination, criminal trespass, like these are things that probably do make other people in our community feel unsafe or uncomfortable, um, especially for property owners. I could see why they wouldn't want people sleeping on their property or going to the bathroom on their property. So, I mean, do you think part of the solution is just not prosecuting these crimes? Like, should we just kind of ignore what's happening here so that folks can live an autonomous life on, you know, on the streets to the best of their ability? 
It's a good question, and it's one that I don't know if I am the person to answer it. I think the more and more time I spend with this, the more I realize how kind of intractable, like this is an incredibly difficult problem. And I think the real fallacy or the real issue that we have as a society is we want somebody to just fix it. I don't see a solution to just saying no enforcement. Mm -hmm. No enforcement, let them live, let them do their thing. Because there's the potential that, that that lack of oversight is going to bite the city in a big way. Do I think that we need to be imposing penalties for these charges or allowing for enhanceability? That's a different conversation. And that's very subjective, right? I mean, like, it depends on the prosecutor. It depends on the judge. It depends on the person, right? Like, who's, yeah. who's in court. And that goes, again, to how complicated this problem is. Yeah. Well, Taylor, listen, I'm not going to make you solve this problem right here, right now. <laughs> and, you know, I agree, like, it's very complex. And it's like, based on people's individual needs and what we can even offer them as a city, as a society. Um, but within the system that you work, we're talking about the justice system. Like, what is one thing you would implement to make this work better for the unsheltered folks in our community? I think the most reasonable thing I could ask for that I think would have a real tangible benefit day one is either trying to reach out to unhoused populations and giving them free transportation passes, or in the alternative, I think Salt Lake County at a minimum should probably be free fare as a rule. But I think that if we really want to allow people to stabilize, and, and the reason we talk about housing is housing stabilizes, allowing people to get places they need to be stabilizes. That's what we need. Taylor Hastings, attorney with the Salt Lake Legal Defender Association. Thanks so much for your time and sharing your experience with us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Salt Lake City leaders have recognized that what's happening now with unsheltered folks cycling in and out of the justice system isn't working. In her 2023 priorities, Mayor Mendenhall mentions providing resources and housing for people with mental health needs who spend a lot of time in justice court. The inspiration comes from a program in Miami, Florida, of all places, and local law enforcement officials are on board with it, too. But while we wait for that to take shape, might I interest you in free transit? And here's just one more thing before we go. This weekend marks the 60th anniversary of Gideon v. Wainwright, the landmark Supreme Court decision that established the right of free legal counsel to anyone accused of a crime. The ruling created a need for public defenders just like Taylor Hastings. If you're in the mood, pop by the public coffee on West Temple today to commemorate Gideon with Salt Lake's legal defenders. It's free, doors open at 5.30 p.m., and there will be music, drinks, snacks, and guest speakers. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Bye! Bye!